0: Hi, this is Maya Bialik, and you're listening to TV Confidential. The you smile today, when you heard my big son was there, is very special. This is the longest, second-longest running a, a situational comedy on television. I to salute you on this day, because this show is part of America. Uh, and you think about, it, you know, see the USA and the Chevrolet in that time period, it was a wonderful time period in a sense, but also a challenging time period is the birth of the civil rights movement. Uh, and the extension and all the, the tragedies of Johnny Kennedy, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Bobby Kennedy, uh, of all that, and then through 1972, the time that you live uh, was so important as a television show. So, so I wanted to, on behalf of the great people of the city of Los Angeles, honor Mike and uh, on this very
1: special occasion. Ed Robertson author guest Barry Livingston. Barry's book, The Importance of Being Ernie, is the story of his life and career before during and after My Three Sons, and is filled with great stories not only about My Three Sons, but about Barry's encounters with the likes of Myrna Loy, Carl Malden, John Cassavetes, Elvis Presley, Robert Downey Jr., Lucille Ball, David Jansen, Forrest Whitaker, and Adam Sandler. You can find The Importance of Being Ernie in bookstores everywhere, as well as Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and The Importance of Being Ernie dot com. My three sons plays every day on me TV. As going back to Paul Newman, the work mattered to him. I understand and there, there, there are some actors they only do their lines, and if if it doesn't have to do with them, they sit in their trailer. While well, there are others like Newman who would uh, either read lines to you off camera, or in the case of what happened to you, uh, you know, early on in your career, he can't. He would come to your rescue.
0: Well, you know, you're probably referring to the very very first job I ever had where mm-hmm. i was hired to play his son in a film called Rally Round the Flag Boys and uh it was during that shooting of that film that my eyes i was shooting a scene in fact where uh i wasn't wearing glasses i wasn't wearing them in real life at that time and there was a moment where the director said okay sit on the sofa i want you to just watch the tv and when paul Newman who's playing your dad comes in the front door totally ignore him no matter what he does no matter what he says he, you just stare at the tv well they tried to do that once twice every time they get into the scene that our director would yell cut cut Barry, you're not looking at the tv what's you know come on focus get it get it together here, get you know and anyway they did that 10 times you know now the director's keep getting more and more frustrated with me cuz he thinks i'm being unprofessional and looking around the room instead of pretending to just watch the television and paul newman who just kind of yeah, it was an up-and-coming star at that point. He, uh, this is probably 1957, 58. Yeah. He had just burst onto the scene a few years before that. But still, he had enough clout to tell the director to settle down. Well, it's just a kid. Let me handle this. You know, uh, somebody give me a puppet. Let's shoot it from another angle. I'll get inside the TV. It was one of those big old boxy old television box sets, but you know, there was no real TV in it. Mm-hmm. He climbed in it and he said, "I'll give the kid something to look at. You know, somebody give him his hand puppet." So he kind of wedged, squeeze his way in. And you know they tried to shoot it again, and unfortunately, still the director was not satisfied. He's very, you know, you're still not doing. It. And then somebody said something could be happening here. You know, maybe he's having a seizure or something. So they took me from the set, literally, to a hospital, and then I was diagnosed with having an eye problem. I, I had an astigmatism, and they prescribed glasses. So when I came back to the set, two days, whatever it was, a couple days later. And the producer looked at me and said, we didn't hire this kid, uh, you know, with, with glasses. That's not we, Paul Newman's son. We, we don't think he would be wearing glasses. So <laughs> I was fired right then and there. They said, uh, you know, this is just one of those things. That's not how we saw him. That's not how we hired him. You know, if he has to wear glasses, then he's got to go. So I was, uh, right then and there asked to depart. And, uh, that oddly enough, the glasses then went on to become part of my signature look. And, you know, that's how life works sometimes.
1: That's how life works sometimes. But if I remember correctly, Barry, you may have been fired once you had to wear glasses, but you still made the final cut of the film kind of sort of. Well,
0: yeah, kind of sort of, <laughs> that is still is my my official movie debut because they did use they left one scene in from the movie using me where I'm upside down and Joan Woodward has me by my feet because I apparently swallowed some coins and she's kind of tapping my head onto the onto the, the carpet and has a, had a phone tucked under one hand and me, you know, upside down. So they used that because they thought, uh, you know, they can't tell. Nobody's going to know if it's, it's a different kid in the rest of the movie. It was some other kid they hired to replace me. But, uh, yeah, that's me, upside down.
1: Upside down, right side up, it's Barry Livingston that we're talking to this hour. Barry's book, The Importance of Being Ernie, is available in bookstores everywhere, as well as Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and TheImportanceofBeingErnie.com. You don't have to be a My Three Sons fan, folks, to enjoy Barry's book, although there are a lot of My Three Sons fans who listen to our program. But you don't necessarily have to be a My Three Sons fan because you know My Three Sons is just one part of Barry's life. Barry's book really is a story of hard work and talent and persistence that will appeal to you if you're if if you're a working actor, if you're a working writer, if you're uh, if you're an entrepreneur or if you're or if, or if you're someone who has a long-term goal that you want to achieve. And or even of, if
0: you're out of work. <laughs> which, yeah. Yeah. Which is what my book talks about quite a bit. That's right. I, the, how I dealt with being out of work, so yeah, that's, that's right.
1: Well, look well, that you just set up my next question. One thing I like about your story is that it shows that if you have talent You know, it will carry you through the valleys, the out-of-work periods, and when the opportunity presents itself, you'll know what to do. And that's basically what happened to you when you had the opportunity to audition uh, in New York uh, for Skin of Our Teeth.
0: Yeah, well, I'd always been a fan of the the theater and um, had a great love of the the, classic American stage and film star John Barrymore. And so I was quite fixated on that. I read a book young uh, when I was young good a book a great book called good night Sweet Prince mm-hmm. which is the life and times of john Barrymore and but it was a, bl- a lot about his his shenanigans he was a wild man kind of the rock star of his era uh, but he was perhaps maybe the greatest American hamlet certainly in his era mm-hmm. um so I you know I had that and I had that bug you know inside of me that one of these days I'm, i' I would I would get on stage so this was um yeah mid 70s and my three sons had rapped and I was working here in town i've done a a, a, did another television series called sons and daughters uh, a bunch of television movies and episodics but i you know i said now's the time i'm i'm gonna go to new york in fact i worked with roddy mcdowell on a a tv movie called the elevator Mm -hmm. and roddy mcdowell was a a tremendously successful child star in the 30s and 40s uh, at mgm and but he was an adult now and and a how did, how did you do it and he said well you know i went to new york and uh, and I, I tried to get away from hollywood and figure out who i was and develop my talent as an actor and he said that's what i should do so i said yeah yeah well that kind of fit in with my plan anyway <laughs> of, of getting to the stage <laughs> so i literally I, you know I, I went to new york i had an uncle who was a long resident there and uh, i was going to make plans to set up a you know shop in new york and i went met with an agent and and uh, said, you know, I'm going to be coming back in a couple weeks, but you know, I wanted to get the get the ball rolling here. And he said, well, you can go in an audition today. And I got something I can send you on. I was like, oh, well, okay. I wasn't really, you know, thinking that, but sure, you know, let's do it. And I uh, went to meet with the great Jose Quintero, mm-hmm. who was, uh, you know, preeminent director on Broadway at that time, very instrumental in in, in creating the Off Broadway movement and bringing Eugene O'Neill back into the spotlight as one of the great American playwrights. So, you know, he was a legend in in, uh, New York. So I went, you know, prepared to read for The Skin of Our Teeth, which was the play he was going to be directing, a huge production that was going to be opening at Kennedy Center. And it was the first of the big bicentennial celebration productions. And I uh, went in, you know, going, well, you know, here we go. (laughs) I don't know what this will be like. Uh, I'll give it my best shot. I knew what I was going to read. Went, got the play, read it real fast before I went in, and we just sat and talked. That's how he auditions actors. He just likes to sit, get a sense of who you are. We had about a five, ten-minute conversation and didn't read, you know, didn't audition in in the traditional sense of, you know, picking up the script and showing him how I would do the character. And I thought, well, you know, I left, and I guess I blew it. I don't know. That's you know, not how they do it in Hollywood. He didn't even ask me to read. But, um, you know, when I got back to my uncle's apartment, uh, lo and behold, there's the answering machine blinking red you know pick me up and then there was the message from the agent saying you got the part you're you're booked and they want to use you and um, that was my very first really official um entrance into the stage i kind of studied some some t- uh, great stage directors in hollywood but that was my entry into the world of theater and uh, Met some great people. the The big star was Elizabeth Ashley, mm-hmm. who was really, really super hot at that point in her career on Broadway. she had just done Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and some other big, big plays, and you know was all the rage. And then Alfred Drake, who was the preeminent musical star of his era, did Oklahoma and Kismet and Martha Scott, who was the original Emily in Our Town. Uh, was in this production, and then Steve Railsback, who was uh, an up-and-coming actor in in New York at that time, was uh, also playing one of the leads. So, um, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. What a, what a great way to jump into the theater!
1: You mentioned Steve Railsback. Uh, you know, you not only work with Steve in Skin of Our Teeth, but uh, you became uh, lifelong friends with Steve. I understand.
0: Yeah, well, Steve probably to your listeners would be best remembered as playing charles manson in the in the original miniseries on tv helter skelter Mm -hmm. and he was just an amazing performance and and made his career and he went on to work in a lot of other films and television after that but uh but at the point we worked together in new york and broadway he was you know he was pretty well known in new york as a stage actor uh and became you know just a great friend just just uh you know, just a terrific friend. I admired his talent. He knew everybody in New York at that time, and there was, this was, like I say, the mid-70s, so he was a member of the actor Studio, and I was privileged to, you know, accompany him to many a studio uh, event where I met Eli Kazan and uh, all of the young hot guns that became famous, you know, 5, 10, 15 years later, Mickey Rourke and Treat Williams and... James Woods and Harvey Keitel. You know, there was just a whole group of, crop of actors that were just starting to become recognized. Um, so it was, it was a very exciting time, and it was all through Steve.
1: You mentioned the Actors Studio. Now, that's, if you watch uh, James Lipton, folks, you, you know that that is one of the places where the method came to fore. And, you know, and you talk about this a little bit in the importance of being Ernie um. Uh, very. I mean, people think of the method as one thing, but there are actually some different variations of it. And if I follow you correctly, you don't consider yourself a method actor per se. But there are various aspects of the method that uh, you have found useful in your life.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, like you say, there's there's different interpretations of Stanislavski. Who that's that's the foundation of method acting is based mm-hmm. on on some of his teachings. But it got very um, Bent in his in the original thrust of some of his books that he wrote uh, by Lee Strasberg, who who had his own version of the method. Mm-hmm. But then there were a few other key players that came out of that era. that created the Actors Studio: Cheryl Crawford, uh, Stella Adler. Um, you know, and they all they all have their interpretation of what is the method that that was defined by 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 Stanislavski. So um, yeah, I mean, I. I've, uh, it's just a craft event eventually you just stand in front of another person you're pretending to be a character in a certain circumstance and you look that other person in the eye and listen to what they have to say and you answer back with the lines that were written for you um you know and spencer tracy probably said it best that's that's pretty much acting is telling the truth you know plant your feet look the other person in the eye and just tell the truth and as the as the truth is the character knows it so um Yeah, you know, I mean, I I was exposed to, you know, a lot of the different styles of acting. Harold Klurman was another big influence in the studio, and I studied with him a little bit, and I studied with Martin Landau for a couple years. And so I I was certainly exposed to the principles, and and every actor, you know, I I didn't memorize everything that came out of everyone's mouth, so, you know, I took what seemed to work for me and, and use it today.
1: Uh, We're talking to Barry Livingston. Barry's book, The Importance of Being Ernie, is the story of his 50-year journey in uh, show business. And Barry is still going strong today. You can find The Importance of Being Ernie in bookstores everywhere as well as Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and The Importance of Being Ernie. Dot com. You mentioned uh, you studied uh, with Martin Landau uh, for a while in the 70s. You also worked with Martin Landau for a while on a, on a series of plays with John Cassavetes. What was it like to work with Cassavetes?
0: Uh, you know, well, there was a guy who had his own method. You know, <laughs> I, mean, and I think, again, he was somebody that came out of the, the golden era of the Actor's Studio in New York, which is probably the 50s, 40s, 50s. Uh, by the end of the '60s, he was becoming an auteur of his own, and uh, you know. But he was he was a very eccentric, fun-loving, pedal-to-the-metal kind of guy. He just lived his life in the full pursuit of just just creating art and creating film and creating stage plays and working with actors, and just you know that was that was just something that consumed him. And he was uh, very generous, you know, in his time and and including people and and you know he he didn't have uh even if you were just somebody who had 20 years of acting experience or two days of acting experience it didn't matter to him if he liked you and he saw something in you and he would give you a chance and uh he was very very kind to me you know just to allow me to be in some of his plays and and uh it was thrilling you know to get to see somebody who likes to work on a tightrope and that's how john is He, he he would uh yeah it takes in crazy chances and it really wouldn't think things through that was that was really taking you know the biggest chances just he had a the whim to do a scene a certain way and and it may have seemed ask backwards to everybody but John but you know you'd do it and then you find out well i guess it worked uh it was great you know he was he was terrifically talented and and what a joy you know
1: what a privilege we you worked with Cassavetes at the time he was doing what was known as the love and hate trilogy um I, and you mentioned in the importance of being Ernie that Peter Falk was in one of those uh, was in one of those three plays. Did you work with uh, uh, Falk when he worked with Cassavetes?
0: Well, only in that I, you know, I was around to be, to, be, to be in these plays. That was one of the requirements. If you wanted to act on stage, you had to you had to contribute as like a rep company in either you know construction of sets or or, uh, you know, sweeping up or selling tickets or whatever. So uh, I, I actually wasn't in the play that, that Peter Falk was in. Uh, he was in, in a one that something John wrote called Knives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a play called The Third Day Comes, and there was another play, Love Streams, that uh, actually were written by a guy named Ted Allen, mm-hmm. but John was directing those. And uh, Love Stream with John Voigt was, John Voight was in the, the stage production, and Jenna, his wife, Jenna Rollins, and Nick Cassavetes was, Young Nick Cassavetes was a, in all of them. Um, so, yeah, but I loved Peter Falk. He was, again, the epitome of a character actor. He, he didn't get any better than Peter Falk, and he was one of John's great friends.
1: I, I, I would imagine it would have been fun to watch Falk and Cassavetes working together because, as you say, um, you know, uh, Cassavetes' method was not for everyone. Okay. Uh, and while Falk was known for doing take after take, after take, after take, which, which, is, which, which as an actor, you know is, is, is good, but you, know, for some of the production people, it's like, okay, we just want to move on. So I, I would imagine that would have been interesting to, to observe.
0: Well again, they had a shorthand, you know, because they were close friends and drinking buddies and you know they, they, he, you know, they, they would work together on the professional level. You know, of a director who's trying to get something a performance out of an actor, and uh, you know, sometimes Falk would get frustrated that he would be getting directions that he, you know, (laughs) either he'd try the the suggestion and then and he thought he'd nailed it, but John didn't, and they'd go back and forth, and so there was a lot of you know, a lot, a lot of. banter that only comes from, from familiarity between guys and, and sometimes some heated <laughs> arguments about things too. But that was the way they worked. And and of course, Jenna, his wife, who was in all three plays, you don't get any more intimate than a husband and wife uh, acting, directing. You know, that's that's a real interesting dynamic because, uh, uh, you know, a director really is the god figure on a set. He's all important and, you know, his word is gospel. And so the, that is the line maybe you know if you're directing your wife who doesn't particularly <laughs> care for your directions and has a has a you know another relationship with you other than just director actor yeah. you know that my wife and husband has some pretty uh, intense emotional dynamics so yeah you know it, it was interesting to watch all of that it was, it was terrific
1: we'll take a quick time out then we'll continue our conversation with barry here on tv confidential